Listener Production. All right, look, I wouldn't say this lightly, but this is probably the most interesting interview I've ever done on this podcast. It is a tragic and a sensitive and really just a mind-blowing story. So in this episode, Headley Thomas, the journalist behind the world-famous Teacher's Pet podcast, reveals his own family's tragedy that has startling similarities to Lynette Dawson's. So his own grandmother also went missing on the northern beaches, leaving her family behind. And this happened 26 years before Lynette Dawson in that same part of the world. I must have waited for my father to pass away before I took on Lynn's story because I had known about it for many, many years. And that must have been because I didn't want him to be distressed while I was investigating and, you know, releasing episodes about a woman who who had disappeared from a place so close to where he grew up, where his mother disappeared from. So that's Headley Thomas, who I'll be interviewing in our briefing. Stick around for that. First, here are today's big headlines. Katrina Blau is with you. It is Tuesday, October 10, and tensions from the Middle East have spilled out onto Sydney streets at a protest at the Opera House last night. Around 500 pro-Palestine protesters marched through the city to the Opera House to protest the light of the sails. They were lit up in blue and white, the colours of the Israeli flag, in solidarity after the violent attack by Hamas over the weekend. That was the sound of that group of protesters, Tom, apart from, um, you know, setting fire to some flares and apparently one flare was thrown at a police officer. Thankfully, there were no other reports of violence. Yeah, very tense scenes. Um, members of the Jewish community in Sydney have been warned not to go to that area and Anthony Albanese, the Prime Minister, had earlier said the protest shouldn't go ahead. And I think Penny Wong made an interesting statement about the protest. She said, whatever people's views are about the history of this conflict, we can never condone the targeting of civilians and the taking of hostages. And I'm sure that's something many Australians can agree with. So that was an interesting contribution. Israeli Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu has promised to change the Middle East as Israeli jets and helicopters continue to pound Palestinian targets in the Gaza Strip. 100,000 troops have been assembled near the Palestine border at Gaza and a total of 300,000 reservists have reportedly been called up. So that gives you a sense of the scale mm. of what's ahead. This is... First, you know, and foremost, a massive face-saving exercise. Um, Israel just did not see this attack from Hamas coming, despite their intense um, security operations that they have inside the border of Gaza. They have um, people who they pay as spies. They often do drone surveillance. But um, the attack over the weekend seems to have genuinely um, highlighted that that. On, on that day, their security fell short and, and the death toll, Tom, has now risen to more than 1,200. Yeah, so 700 dead uh, in Israel and more than 500 Palestinian deaths as well. Um, we've got more details about the attack on that desert dance party. Uh, the number of deaths now is at 260. So really that was a massacre, just devastating. Israel's cut off food and water 
and fuel to Gaza. And as you said, with 100,000 troops amassing near the border, um, it's pretty clear, and also from Benjamin Netanyahu's statements, that they are going to change the face of the Gaza Strip. Uh, I think that's going to change dramatically, and that's where these attacks came from. What's so sad is that so many people in Gaza, you know, a lot of them just want to get on with their lives. And when you look at what level of support that the regular person in the street living in Gaza may have for Hamas, well, that actually hasn't been tested since the last elections were held in Gaza in 2006. Um, so there are going to be some innocent people caught up in all of this too. Mm. Well, speaking of innocent people, um, there's lots of um, people trying to get out of Israel right now, civilians fearing for their lives and tourists. And the briefing spoke to a Sydney couple, Joe and Kerry Carnuccio, and they were on holidays in Israel when the bombing started. They were stuck in their hotel in Tel Aviv for three days. Um, they've been evacuated to a safe room in the hotel five times. Here's some of what they told us about that experience. You can slightly hear the the bomb going off because the Iron Dome is intercepting it. And then after 10 minutes, they come and say, it's okay for you to go back to your room. Yeah, pretty intense scene. So we'll have a full interview with them in an episode we'll put out later today. Um, They've managed to get a flight out of Israel, which hasn't been easy. Um, I've been seeing these videos from the airport and there's just thousands of people trying to get out of Israel to flee the fighting, but many flights to other major cities have been delayed or cancelled. So they've been really hectic scenes. Yeah, and just a couple of other quick points to make. Um, some analysts are concerned that this conflict could push up the price of fuel. The key thing to be keeping an eye on there is whether Iran gets involved in this conflict. Uh, Iran, of course, being a major oil producer that Israel has accused of helping Hamas to plot the attack. Uh, also, the UN Security Council will be holding an emergency meeting on Sunday to discuss the crisis. They've already sent UNP keeping forces along the Lebanon-Israel border. Um, most sort of hopeful there is that there'll be some talks between um, Egypt, um, Saudi Arabia and Jordan to try and broker some kind of ceasefire. And crossing to America where Robert F. Kennedy Jr. has announced he's dropped out of the Democrat race for next year's US presidential election. I'm here to declare myself an independent candidate. Yeah, so he's not running as a Democrat, so turning his back on the party of his father, Robert F. Kennedy, and his uncle, John F. Kennedy, um, he's now running as an independent, which will be interesting because it's going to split the Democrat vote, depending on how much support he gets, which might be bad for Joe Biden. Uh, He's an interesting character. He's uh, a well-known anti-vaxxer. He said at a rally overnight uh, to declare he was running as an independent, that he would tank on Wall Street, big pharma, big ag, and military contractors and their lobbyists. Yeah, he also reckons that Wi-Fi leads to a leaky brain. So I don't know how he's going to communicate as he travels around campaigning with his staffers. Um, There there will be some tension around the Christmas table this year because as soon as that was announced, some of the prominent Kennedy sisters wrote on their socials that Bobby might share the same name as our father, but he does not share the same values. And today's announcement is deeply saddening. We denounce his candidacy. Mm. We believe it could be perilous for our country. Ouch. Mm. 
Yeah, well, I guess those sort of like fringe conspiracy views will get a lot of traction on the internet, but will they get a lot of traction at the ballot box? I guess we'll find out. All right, we'll catch you later, Katrina, in just a moment. This really interesting interview with Hedley Thomas. So as you would well know by now, the Teacher's Pet podcast is the most successful Australian podcast ever and probably one of the most impactful true crime investigations in Australian history. Millions of people around the world were absolutely fascinated by this story about the missing mother of two, Lynette Dawson, and her husband, Chris Dawson, who had an affair with one of his teenage students. And as the story goes, after Lynette went missing in 1982, that younger woman moved into the house and later married Chris Dawson. Now, for years, investigations started and ended until finally, Hedley Thomas moved forward with the Teacher's Pet podcast and reopened interest in the case in 2018. Ultimately, that was one of the factors that led to a final murder prosecution and a 24-year sentence for Chris Dawson last year. He's now in his 70s and will likely spend the rest of his life behind bars. Now, Hedley Thomas has written a book about the whole experience. It's called The Teacher's Pet. Hedley, thank you for joining us on The Briefing. It's a privilege, Tom. Thank you for having me. So you've told the whole story of this incredible investigation that has changed so many lives, including your own and including Chris Dawson, who's now been convicted of the murder of his wife, Lynette. What really jumped out at me reading this story is that there was a big personal story for you behind this that very few of us who followed this knew about, and that's that your own grandmother went missing on the northern beaches of Sydney. So somewhat of a parallel to Lynette Dawson. How much impact has that tragedy for your family, your father and you impacted this journey of the teacher's pet investigation? Tom, I think that uh, when I decided to take this case on, it was because of that event um, that occurred 11 years before I was even born. Um, so we're talking about 1956 when my father was a teenager and I didn't know a lot about it directly from my dad because he found it difficult to talk about, mm. but I did know about it from my mother and, you know, you grow up hearing about a terrible loss and wondering, oh, where's my grandmother on dad's side? And mum would explain that dad's mother just disappeared and walked into the ocean and swam until you know, she succumbed. No one actually saw that to my knowledge, but that was the very strong belief at the time. Certainly there were no suspicious circumstances. I think as I went through my 20s and 30s and 40s and fatherhood and so on, thinking about loss and uh, family and tragedy and, and you know, women who disappear, never to be seen again, I much better understood my father's pain and why he, just like Lynn's parents and siblings, looked in crowded places for his mother because when someone disappears 
there is that huge uncertainty. I believe that I, I must have waited for my father to pass away before I took on Lynn's story because I had known about it for many, many years. Mm. And that must have been because I didn't want him to be distressed while I was investigating and, you know, releasing episodes yeah. about a woman who, who had disappeared from a place so close to where he grew up, where his mother disappeared from. Oh, wow. Yeah. Well, the book sort of sets it out in in a chronological way. So we we read about the first time you looked at this story in 2001 and you have this amazing moment where you go to the police station in DY and it's just some kind of fluke that the police officer wants to hand over the files and you're able to sit there and take all these notes. And the most powerful section of that part of the story is you reading the witness statement from the woman who went on to become Chris Dawson's second wife, the schoolgirl who he groomed. But to know now that behind that, you had your own family tragedy in that same part of the world is is really mind-blowing. So you said you waited years because that would cause too much potential sort of pain for your, for your father. Uh, you also said there that it helped you understand Lynette Dawson's family and how they must have been feeling. Did it also drive you through the moments of this investigation that were extremely difficult? What uh, I had to do in a fairly short period of time with the teacher's pet was an enormous amount of research and travel and then many dozens of interviews and huge amounts of writing and the hours were insane. You know, the, the amount of time and commitment it took was just unlike anything that I had ever tackled before. And to do something like that, to give that much, to sacrifice so much, you really need a very powerful motivation. And this is what I believe was always in the background. You know, I was still wow. very sad about my father's death just months earlier when I started this mm. this whole investigation. But I think that just because of the knowledge of what had happened to dad's mum and then my own unanswered questions about Lynn and my suspicion of Lynn. And look, I don't want to give any suggestion that the cases are similar. They are chalk and cheese. Mm. But what is the same is the longing and the love that people have for mm. a young mum who disappears. And, you know, we, we can do very unusual things. We can be driven to places and achieve outcomes that are not at first glance seemingly possible when we're propelled by an almost invisible force. And I felt like I was being propelled forward you know, by the, the ghost of my grandmother mm. and just wanting to do whatever I could for Lynn's family and for Lynn in this case, along the way. So why are you talking about it now, Hedley? Why do you feel now is the time, even though it is hard and sensitive? I wanted to just acknowledge it in a fairly light thread, you know, not go too far with it, but I felt that this is kind of like a bit of a memoir of mm. journalism but also of my own experience and yeah. 
I'm a storyteller and, you know, it's a, it's a really tough balancing act because, you know, I want to tell truths, tell truths about other people. Would it have been remiss of me, would it have been fraudulent of me to not say this mm. was the personal unknown driver, this was the underlying thing that, you know, really switched me on and, and I think helped me power through the tough periods and um, take on so many different um, challenges in this case you know, it wouldn't have been possible. I don't believe we would have got to where we got to without this completely unrelated event having occurred in 1956. So for those reasons, you know, when I weighed it all up and, you know, reflected on the fact that I couldn't hurt my father who had died uh, months before I started the teacher's pet investigation, I couldn't hurt him by talking about it in this in this way. So if part of your drive there was a a sense of empathy for Lynette's family, um, given what your own family had lived through with the disappearance of their their mother and their sister and daughter. Did your work and what you uncovered and the verdict in the court, did it give something to Lynette's family? How do they feel about the way this has all unfolded? Uh, they're enormously grateful um, and we are good friends and uh, we catch up and talk regularly. I talk to Lynette's brother, Greg, and Lynette's sister, Pat, and um, Greg's wife, Marilyn, uh, other members of the family. I was only talking to one of them last night. We are in constant touch and they are incredibly grateful and um, very warm and encouraging and, you know, not many people in on Lynn's side of the family would know about you know, what you and I have been discussing with mm. my grandmother. But, um, you know, they'll find out about it, I guess, if they read the book. Certainly Chris Dawson's side knew and the lawyers for Chris Dawson attempted to uh, use this information when they discovered it in an email that I'd had to turn over and it became subject of some questioning in court and... One of the solicitors, no doubt under instructions from his client, Dawson, actually had the email printed and and released it to a number of journalists during one of the doorstop media conferences outside court. Wow. And uh, I deal with that in the book as well. Yeah. And this is a really sensitive question um, and you, you choose, choose however you would like to respond to it, including not answering it, but was there any closure or understanding of what happened to your grandmother? Well, it's impossible to know when you don't have witnesses and there are no files and I didn't want to go and attempt to investigate that terrible tragedy. Mm. However, I resolved that my grandmother, bless her, had mental health problems. She had real challenges uh, and she just swam to her death and mm. that um, was something that, you know, my father no doubt never got over. Um, he found it very difficult to talk about what happened to his mother I do know that two of my grandmother's siblings also died 
through taking their own lives before she died. And you know, my grandmother was troubled before she disappeared. I don't believe there was anything untoward. The one common feature was a young mother on the northern beaches who disappeared. And, you know, it was 26 years before Lynette disappeared. But, you know, in the way sometimes the universe throws up incredible coincidences and almost karmic reconnections, Mm. It just ended up being me who decided I wanted to tackle this case and this story and then just, um, I guess, almost subconsciously draw strength and stamina from what had happened to my grandmother. Incredible. So, Hedley, is this investigation done for you or are you still trying to find where Lynette's body is? For me, this investigation is behind me. If anybody had any information about where Lynette's body is, of course I would want to pursue that. But I feel that we have achieved the right outcomes and the person who killed Lynette, who groomed schoolgirls, who lied for 40 years and is still lying to Lynette's family to his own daughters, he's never going to get out of jail. And that's the right outcome. And, you know, I think for me, writing this book was about sharing something that, you know, was so important to me and, and important to many millions of listeners. Uh, but sharing the backstory and trying to give an insight into justice and journalism, exploitation, terrible, terrible betrayal, a callous premeditated murder, how authorities can fail the victims of crime, fail their families, and how, you know, we have an opportunity in journalism to at least help expose the wrongdoing and shine a really bright light on someone who has been hiding in the shadows and got away with a crime for so many years. Well, Hedley, thank you so much for sharing your personal story behind The Teacher's Pet. I think that's going to be just so insightful for so many people and um, generous of you. So thank you very much for speaking to us today. Thank you, Tom. That was Hedley Thomas. His book is out today. It's called The Teacher's Pet. As you can hear, it's just an incredible read and... The story about his grandmother just really jumped out at me and to think that that was the driving force behind his investigation and that it most likely might not have actually happened without that and the tricky questions Headley had to navigate as a journalist with that personal story behind him as he went about doing his job on this story it's just so fascinating hope you enjoyed that interview and by the way if that interview uh, and that intense story from Headley brought up any issues for you and you want to get help you can call Lifeline 13 11 14 Listener